Hello, you're listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf-Terry, and... Luke Romsdorf-Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it. On today's episode, we're talking about the 17th book in the series, The Cat Who Blew the Whistle. 17 books. 17 books down. (laughs) Now, this is first published in 1995-96, per your notes, hardcover and... And paperback edition that they were doing, yes. (laughs) Now, there's also something new with this episode, too. You want to explain that? Yes. Um, we haven't had to do this before, um, and which which has been nice, and it's part of the cozy mystery appeal. But for this book, I feel like it really does deserve a content warning. So in addition to our usual spoilers ahead, this is a content warning. The solution to this mystery involves a possibly trans person who is not treated with sensitivity or, frankly, reality, as one would unfortunately expect from the early 90s. In place of the dead author, I can only say, I'm sorry. You have been warned. We'll discuss it, and we'll be and we'll be talking about how it gets it wrong. All right. Let's go ahead and let's dive in. <clears throat> Absolutely. Taking place only a few weeks after the Breakfast Island debacle, uh, the rich and powerful of Moose County have donated five hundred dollars a ticket, just shy of nine hundred dollars in today's money, <laughs> to ride behind Old Number Nine on her maiden voyage, with all proceeds benefiting the scholarship fund at the new community college. The engine is an original from the glory days of Moose County's mining and timber and timbering past, which has been lovingly restored and supposedly the start of a new industry for Moose County. Train tourism! <laughs> but alas, we are warned that the party train's maiden voyage is also its last. Tragic. Indeed. Although it's <laughs> nice to, you know, be warned about something that does not involve the potential death or injury of Quill. <laughs> Still, though. So, nice change there. So we flash back to just after the Quill and the Cats return from Breakfast Island, and we have a telephone call from an ebullient Dwight Summers. They they actually used that word, so I figured I'd throw it back in. Could you please use it in a sentence (laughs) besides an ebullient Dwight Summers? (laughs) Dwight has a new job. He is ebullient with joy. All right, then. There you go. (laughs) Um, So let's remember that he was, that he left or was fired from his PR job at the now- defunct Pear Island Resort, Um, but he's landed a new gig and willingly shaved off his signature beard. His new boss doesn't like them, apparently. Um, And he's going to be running the pickaxe branch of a Lockmaster PR firm. And his very first client is Floyd Trevelyan, who's the president of the Lumbertown Credit Union in Sawdust City. Sawdust City, by the way, is to pickaxe what pickaxe is to Lockmaster. Undesirable, despite a large population and thriving economy. Perfectly fine place to be, just not considered. Someplace Uh, you want to live. Some place you want to live by the people in the other towns. Um, <laughs> Floyd is a train nut with model train displays worth almost a million dollars. So, you know, close to a million and a half at this point. Goodness. Um, and he st- started to take, and he started to take to renovating old train cars or rolling stock. Cute Starlight Express music. Jeez. I, I am not adding that in. I am not adding that in. I am sorry. Not that sorry. <laughs> not at all. It's okay. Moving on. Um, so he's been renovating these old train cars to create the Lumbertown Party Train. Dwight is now in charge of planning a fancy blowout for the maiden voyage. Dwight is also now dating Hixie Rice. So oh, yay really? For them both. Yes. Very nice. Excellent. That's good. Yes. The two publicists have found each other. It's delightful. <laughs> There's a press release announcing the (laughs) new relationship. Announcing the new relationship, absolutely. (laughs) This is all coming out while Dwight is visiting Quill, and Dwight is also the secretary for the theater club, Ah. which has decided to do a summer production for the first time ever. Hmm. Uh, Which, really? First time ever? Um, (laughs) Apparently there's not even a movie house in Pickaxe. Yes, they refer to it as a movie house. Um, So all the summer tourists really have nowhere to go at night except to the bars. So Hmm. the theater club has wisely decided to try and get some of the tourist dollars. And their show choice is A Midsummer Night's Dream. Oh, that's as far as Shakespeare go. That's not I a bad mean, one a for the first good, summer. It's a pretty yeah. good summer appeal. Uh, much like Henry VIII, they'll use high schoolers as lords and ladies to ensure a good local turnout. But instead <laughs> of the traditional fairies, they'll be little green men, which Ugh. I think is a nice take on the local visitor's legend. Uh, yes, I think that's... I, I, it was. I, it did, took me a minute to re- put the two and two together, but I think that would be a nice little local color. Yeah, it is. Um, and... They've only got a few weeks before Labor Day when the tourists come roaring into town, so they've cast people in the main roles who have who have done it before. Um, so we've got Junior Goodwinter who'll be playing Puck, which he did in college. Hmm. Um, although this is apparently this is the first that we've heard of him on stage with the theater club. Hmm. Um, and of course, the Landspeaks will play Hippolyta and Theseus, doubling as Titania and Oberon. Um, now, 
the character of Titania. How do you say that name again? <laughs> We're going to discuss that, actually. Oh, that comes up. Are you it kidding does. me? It does. I'm oh. not kidding. Oh, wow. We'll talk about this there's, in a minute. There's a personal connection to that, which we'll get to in a moment. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> anyway, so... But so you say they've they played the roles before, Carol, hence the doubling. Yes, Carol and Larry have played the roles before, <laughs> so <laughs> that way they can get... They could hopefully get things moving a little bit faster, since, of course, Titania and Oberon do have the biggest speeches. Mm-hmm. Um, the next morning, Quill visits Polly, who... Uh, Remember we who remember we remember decided while in Oregon to build a house on part of the Klingon land, hmm. and she is obsessed with every freaking possible detail. This doesn't which, surprise anybody. No, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Not only is that part of Polly's personality, but she's lived in rental properties her entire adult life, so I can kind of understand it. If this is going to be yeah her last place, she's going to live. Yeah, she's hoping, um, but nothing's being done right. But nothing's being done fast enough for her and she's already making herself insane with all of her options <laughs> um so her house will actually be on the site of the original original trevelyan farmhouse um which the connection there is that quill's apple barn um was originally in the middle of the trevelyan apple orchard mm. but homer tibbet comes with it but per homer tibbet this all comes with its own branch of the trevelyan curse oh. so the apple orchard that quill's uh, barn is in was blighted uh, the farmer and the architect who renovated the barn uh, both hung themselves in the barn. Oh, God. Um, and the farmhouse itself was struck by lightning and burned to the ground. Jeez. So this explains why nobody locally would touch the property until Quill came along and didn't know any better. So uh, Trevelyan is also the name of a James Bond villain, the first Bond <laughs> uh, uh, of the 90s, Goldeneye, which also happened to be played by Sean Bean. So I, the Sean Bean curse is just there everything's dying, everything's going to hell so sorry buddy. F- this is not the first time we've heard the name trevelyan um and i have had such a hard time with it and getting that in my head because i am mildly dyslexic and so unless i've heard something pronounced i don't necessarily know how it's supposed I to be see. so i have always pronounced this when i was reading this as trevelons Okay. Um, that, which, now I can see that. That's yeah. not like, yeah, that, that makes sense. But I have been corrected. It's now Trevelyans. Um, so speaking of them, Quill heads off to Sawdust City to meet with Floyd um, <laughs> to do a Quill pen about his model trains. Um, now, despite being looked down upon by pickaxe, the town is bustling and the credit union housed in a recreated train depot is right on theme. <laughs> um, the Floyd's house is called the Roundhouse, which is where the trains would go to be switched. And, to the different and, uh, and circuit and whatnot, yeah. Exactly. And in this particular thing, I got some major flashbacks to George Tate and the cat who ate Danish modern, Mm -hmm. the hairy but bald guy with an obsession, Jade versus model trains, and a wife in a wheelchair. Oh. Mrs. Trevelyan is considerably less agitated than Mrs. Tate, and there's no sad cat involved, but... um, and it's and it's slightly better. Uh, Quill, Mrs. Trevelyan recognizes Quill. She compliments his column before trying to interject into her <laughs> husband's childhood train monologue by mentioning that her father was a train engineer, which is probably why he married her. Um, Floyd ignores her entirely. I mean, like literally, does not acknowledge her presence. Mm. Um, Quill is not sure who she is until later that he finds out that she was that that was who he met. Hmm. Um, so really, all is not well in this household. Interesting. Um, also, much like the Tates. Um, over this course of this interview, we get a lot of railroad terms, and we do learn how the town of Wildcat, which is the home of Derek Cuddlebrink, our favorite uh, <laughs> six foot seven going on nine uh, busboy, uh, got its name. <laughs> the Minion. It, yes. The, um, so Wildcat is the site of a runaway train crash, and a runaway train is called a Wildcat. Oh. Floyd is talking about how much he spent on his PV, which is short for private varnish, term for restored railroad cars for private use. I didn't make up these terms. Um, this is all actual railroading and uh, and renovation terms for railroads. No, the private varnish, I, I was laughing because not only is it ridiculous, but when I did Polar Express a number of years ago, that was one term that stuck out. <laughs> All these things that it, it, there's a whole different vernacular for a field, you know, as you, as you get exposed to a world, you find different terms for things that uh, you never knew existed. Exactly. And while Quill is interested in, you know, all of the uh, all of the new terms, he's more interested in the story of the old railroaders mm. who all who mostly live in Sawdust City. Um, so he's so while he's trying to write this article in his head, he's also thinking, okay, how can I get down here and talk to the people who actually, you know, ran the trains? Um, we also learn that Polly is thinking of of hiring Floyd's son to build her house, um, and that his daughter works in Floyd's office as a bookkeeper. And again, he does not mention his wife hmm. at all. Interesting. Yep. 
So then we get to the day of the party train, and everyone is in their Sunday best, <laughs> except for Floyd's secretary, who wears a chic pantsuit. She is unflatteringly described as his knee-crossing secretary by Dwight. Okay. Um, so that's got a that's got a little bit of weight on it. Um, yeah. Of course, we have Elizabeth Hart, as she is now known, our friend from Breakfast Island, um, is there in some vintage Edwardian dress style with Derek <laughs> Cuddlebrink on her arm. They're dating, by the way. Oh, nice. Um, and there are some unkind comments about how he bought her a hot dog last week, so it must be her turn to treat. Ha ha ha. What? <laughs> okay. She's rich. So. <laughs> So he bought a hot. So he bought wow. her a hot dog last week. So now she's treating him to dinner. To a full fancy a, dinner on a five hundred dollar ticket. Jeez. Deal. Anyway, um, there are also some really na- some some rather side eyed comments about her rather slender figure. Um, she gets the unkind skinny versus the more flattering slender or svelte, and everyone's just kind of judging her for being so tiny by Moose County standards. Good. That's like, okay, lay you off just can't way. win in Moose County. Not as a newcomer. No, you nope. really can't. Well, yeah, newcomer. That's right. But still, um, good, good and lord. And it's harder as a woman than a man. Um, so the train appears. It is a thing of beauty with its original crew, ranging in age from 69 to 83. <laughs> um, the ride is smooth. The scenery is stunning. The food oh, is excellent. Dwight even gives Quill, Polly, Arch, and Mildred a private tr- uh, tour of the private rail car, whose magnificence is unmatched. Hmm. All in all, a great first and sadly only outing for the Lumbertown <laughs> party train. Uh, by the time we hear the 11 o'clock news on WPKX, the Lumbertown Credit Union, which has been financing this whole thing, has been padlocked and closed pending a state audit. Well, that's convenient. And with that, Quill's mustache starts a twitching. Huh. Um, so the next morning, Arch calls Quill, who has slept late, which is odd because Quill never sleeps late. Hmm. Um, but I guess the train ride was uh, took it out of him. It's so relaxing, apparently. <laughs> um, with some interest, but Arch calls with some interesting news. Floyd has disappeared. Oh, no. And so then feds are on site, but Floyd can't be found. Um, Roger McGilvery tries to get more of a man on the street feel, but the feds aren't talking. And, um, he does get, uh, he does get some comments from old railroaders who like Floyd because he's a local boy made good, blah, blah, blah. But there is, and there is one person who is absolutely delighted with the new developments. Mm-hmm. Our favorite professional grouch, Lyle Compton, who has uh, been feuding with Floyd ever since he sued the district for expelling his son. Of course Who now builds has. houses. He's now building Polly's house. So here's all the connections, everything, and everything uh, ties together. Uh, uh, uh. So it's eventually confirmed that the state is bringing fraud charges against the credit union, which will remain closed indefinitely. And that means all of the funds inside it are frozen. Hmm. So people who have had their money in the credit union can't get it. Interesting. Um, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, the credit union had the money for the senior trip for the high school. Um, it has people's, you know, it has people's life savings. It's life savings. I'm sure there's mortgages on there. Like exactly. it's, it's a very, so it's very, very tricky. It's a wonderful life situation going yeah. on. Bailey savings and loan. Mm-hmm. And Oof. Floyd and his secretary are still missing. Oh, yes. Because no, we figured out that not only is Floyd missing, the secretary is gone too. Huh. So in typical Quill fashion, he stumbles upon a woman in line at the bank who loves his column and tells Quill that her name is Letitia Penn. But when the teller finishes, they call her Miss Trevelyan. Hmm. Turns out it's Floyd's daughter who's stuck in a dreary cycle of bookkeeping and caring for her sick mother when all she wants to do is be a writer. Um, (laughs) Hence her talking to Quill. Her hesitation over her name gives Quill pause and he adds that to his growing list of questions about the current situation. Big thing, we have the return of the delightful Celia Robinson. Remember, she helped out Quill when uh, yes. when he was trying to investigate Euphonia Gage's yes. murder down it's in Florida? it's been a while since we've seen her. So she and Quill have been keeping up a very whimsical correspondence. The letters are hysterical. Um, and they're punctuated with him sending her chocolate-covered cherries in the spy novels while she sends him homemade brownies. And Quill, you dog. Indeed. <laughs> um, and basically, she's decided that Florida is too full of old people. She's only 69. And that she doesn't like living with her family, with the exception of grandson Clayton. Apparently, her daughter-in-law is a bit of a sourpuss. Um, so Celia's decided that she's going to... would feel the same way if I lived in Florida, too. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, me either. Um, so Celia's decided to move to Pickaxe. Portals. Okay. Anyway, Quill has one of his bursts of en- really enjoying his money um, and gets Fran Brody to drop everything and renovate his old carriage house apartment for Celia, complete with a full kitchen and guest room. Oh, wow. Estimated time to finish? Ten days. Hmm. Yep, money is nice. Money, wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is literally telling people to drop everything, go do this project, we'll offer you a bonus, get it done. (laughs) Money is nice. What is not nice is when people run out on their bills, because apparently Floyd owes Amanda's studio of design tens of thousands of dollars for their work on the party train. 
A miserable Fran tells Quill that their lawyer is working on suing for the fees. Um, and she also mentions decorating an apartment in swanky Indian village for Floyd's secretary, who finally, by the way, has a name. Her name is Nella, short for Lionella Hooper. Lion? What? Nella Hooper. Nella Hooper. Or Lionella Hooper. Um <laughs> Fran, in Fran's opinion, she's, uh, you know, she's got great taste. She's responsible for toning down Floyd's more outlandish design choices. Um, but she's also responsible for annoying the heck out of Bushy when he tried to take a professional portrait of Floyd. Um, she was asked to leave, which made no points with Floyd, but apparently Bushy got a good portrait. No figure. Quill, on his daily rounds of meeting people, uh, makes a brief stop by uh, McWannell and Shaw. Um, <laughs> Is this a, 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 a McWannell McLannell? Wannell McWannell. <laughs> yes, him. <laughs> yes, that's him. Um, and he's the C- he's of the local course. CPA. Ah, um, uh, that's right. Of course, and of course. so he presents the idea to Quill that Floyd must have had an accomplice to pull off this sophisticated fraud because Floyd simply does not have the brain power. Mm. Um, he also presents Quill with an invitation to officially join Clan Macintosh in his mother's memory at the next Scottish night. <laughs> um, Quill goes then go, goes home to prepare for his latest assignment from the something, which is interviewing the main cast of A Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, as he reads the first scene to kind of familiarize himself, it's been a while since he's read this, mm-hmm. uh, every time he says the name Hermia, Coco yowls. While interviewing Derek later, who's mostly talking about his costume, uh, Quill asks Liz, Liz Hart, um, Elizabeth Hart, who now goes by Liz Hart. Um, we just Her name she just keeps getting shorter and shorter. Um, it's just going to be L by the yes. end of the... <laughs> Liz has been giving more thoughtful insights to Derek's character. He's not taking it. It's it's okay. Um, but he asked Liz about her favorite character. He's expecting her to say to Tanya and all of that. Um, and Liz's answer? Hermia, because she identifies with her parent problems. Hmm. Interesting indeed that there's that connection. Yes. Um, after rehearsals, Fran reports that Floyd's car has been found, but still no sign of Floyd. Um, Fran's best guess is that someone like Nella um, picked him up in the carpool lot, which is outside of Sada City, and took him to the airport. Uh, Nella is supposedly from Texas, so everyone assumes that she and Floyd will head for Mexico. Um, <laughs> especially since the firm that should be insuring the credit union um, can't cover the losses and all of their assets have suddenly been transferred to their wives. Um, so that they, for, for tax reasons, of course. Hmm. Making Brody and the feds suspicious that they are likely in on whatever scam this is. A very massive scam. Yes. Coco has more information. He sits on the something and then does his death dance around Floyd's picture that, was ran, that ran with his article not today. Not surprised. This is telling Quill that this is not a missing person's case, but likely murder. Hmm. That being said, Quill's first thought, though, is suicide because he reasons that Floyd is too proud to return to his hometown in handcuffs. It's fair, but Coco doesn't usually do the death dance for suicide. I don't think Coco's ever done the death dance for suicide. Ever. Not for suicide, no. Mm. He he does it for he does it for murder. He does it for foul play. He does it for anything that's nefarious, that's not but not right. for a suicide. Okay. Hmm. Well done, Coco. <laughs> Indeed. Um, meanwhile, Floyd's son Eddie has started work on Polly's house. Polly is still worrying, and that's without Quill telling her what he observes every day: cigarette butts all over the sites. And he notices that what there were what started off as a very jocular, happy relationship between Eddie and his worker, who's named Benno for some reason, um, <laughs> has turned very tense. And it seems like they're rushing the work. Hmm. Quill is trying to distract Polly because she is freaking the hell out. Uh, he even offers to take her birding to take her mind off it, but she goes home to study blueprints instead. <laughs> That being said, Coco t- uh, Quill takes Coco for a walk to the building site to get more information, and Coco just wants to roll around on the newly set concrete of the garage floor. Hmm. Never had cats experience the, the thrill of a smooth concrete floor. Apparently, they love it. I can... I wonder if it's because it's cold and it's... It's cold, it's smooth, it's, you know, it's it's things that they It's a they lot love. of things. Yeah. Quill still has his suspicions, but whatever vibes Coco is sending out, Quill's not getting any new messages. So without Polly, yep, it's a floor. (laughs) So without Polly, Quill attends the annual softball game between the newspaper and the hospital personnel. As you can see, this story is becoming much more ingrained in the fabric of Moose County. Um, We're getting a lot of annual things that keep popping up. Um, So this is the softball game between the typos and the tubes. (laughs) Newspaper, hospital. What's weird Um, is that the names are reversed. It's the it's the hospital that has the typos. That's usually not a good thing in the hospital. I know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's a very bad thing. Yes. Anyway, Roger McGovery is there. and Blood uh, cot? That doesn't make sense. Blood cot? No. Sorry. Stop. We're done. Uh, We're done. I'm anyway. done. <laughs> Roger McGovery is there and he shares a new development. Uh, there was a dog who's been visiting the site uh, of the building site who was killed in a dog run on Floyd's property the night before. Oh. 
Um, when Roger went to report on it, no one would let him in until Floyd's daughter recognized him. Because apparently she's a former student of Roger's, who, according to him, should have gone to college, but was forced to stay home and take care of her invalid mother, leaving her frustrated. Mm-hmm. Um, shocker there. The dog apparently actually belongs to Eddie, um, who can't have pets in his, pets in his apartment, so he kenneled the dog at his parents' overnight. Roger also remembers Eddie as a student, although not as fondly as the daughter. Remember, Eddie and a friend were expelled for alcohol use on school grounds, which is why mm. Floyd tried to sue the school. Yes, 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 yes. Quill eventually goes home after this. I, I believe the uh, the tubes won. Um, <laughs> and he reads Coco's selection that night for a book, uh, which is a book on the construction of the Panama Canal. Reads it to the cats until they fall asleep. Hmm. Interesting. Lots of digging. Yeah. Mm. Um, yes. Yes. I wonder what we need to dig up. Um, the next day, Quill attempts to befriend Eddie and his carpentry crew by bringing them soft drinks, and Eddie ends up offering Eddie a tour of the barn after he knocks off for the day. Eddie is very chatty. They talk about the, the dog, whose name was Zach, who was likely shot at close range by someone he, the dog, oh. knew. Yeah, it's it's really sad. Jeez. Um, we, you know, we confirm that Eddie's mother is very ill with a rare disease, but apparently there's a cure in Switzerland, but his father won't give them enough money to take her. And we don't um, know what this disease is just not yet, a clue. do we? We never learn, actually. Andrew, oh, wow. Okay. It is a, it is a rare disease. <laughs> That is what it's called. Um, Quill decides that... Yeah. Quill decides that... Uh, We must cure rare disease. It's a rare disease fundraiser. So Quill decides that some cold soft drinks might be a small price to pay to get more information and resolves to keep visiting the building site to kind of keep an eye on things. Okay. Um, Coco, though, has a new clue for Quill. It's a black felt-tip pen. Hmm. Technically, this would be Yum Yum who pulls it out from the mug where it's left, but uh, Coco leaves them for Quill to find. Interesting. (laughs) So essentially a Sharpie. Mm Mm-hmm. But a very specific Sharpie. Felt tip pens, I always think of as being less permanent. Um, usually more water in the ink. Okay. Um, so they're a little bit lighter. Sure. Okay. My dad used to write with felt tip pens um, for ages. They're, they're a soft. They're they're a softer pen. They've got more. They they've got a little bit more ink to it, but they're not to the level of a full on sharpie. Gotcha. Anyway. Okay. Felt tip pen. I just always assumed that was a base, essentially just a fancy word of saying sharpie. Yeah. I'd have to go. The look. more you know. Yay. <laughs> anyway, so Celia has arrived, um, and Coco puts her to work as Agent 0013 and a half. Remember, that was her code name. Yep, yep. Right away. He gets her set up with Pals for Patience through Lisa Compton, because, of course, an unhappy family with an invalid mother will be in need and want help. So he calls it Operation Whistle. Celia here is pretty brilliant. She gets details on Floyd, his wife, whose name is Flory, their early marriage, what went wrong. <laughs> Apparently Floyd got rich and Flory never wanted to marry a rich man. Oh, Which, to be fair, I mean, when he started loving money more than her, then why would you? Right. Um, and Floyd is definitely the type who would have loved money more than anybody else. Oh, uh, yes. Um, Flory. So what? what's her life like now, which is, of course, miserable. Um and Flory's also got a bit of a Hermia situation. Yow. Um, her father, Flory, Flory's father, um, has cut off all contact with her when she married Floyd. And, I mean, at least he's not sending her to a convent or threatening her with death. Um, but he has, he cut off all contact, including, and made her mother cut off contact as well. So she hasn't seen them since she married Floyd. Hmm. Which okay. has to be, you know, a good 20 years in the past. Yeah. Goodness. Um, Floyd's daughter, uh, who we learned prefers to be called Tish, is equally miserable. Again, she wants to be a writer. She's stuck uh, being a bookkeeper in, his fa- in her father's business, mm-hmm. taking care of her mother. Endless cycle of it all. Endless cycle. Miserable. Um, so later, uh, later, Derek, Liz, and Fran stop by the barn with a gift for Quillerin. A second gift, as Derek delivered an antique twistle wig rocker this week, uh, rocker the week before. I will post a picture of a twistle wig, twistle wig rocker. Um, they are... A fascinating sculpture of a chair that uh, is completely made out of bent twigs. Interesting. Yeah. Now, it's a twistle. Twistle wig. So how do you spell that? T-W-I-S-T-L-E-W-I-G. See, I was looking up twizzle. And so (laughs) when I did that, just real quick to see, I was getting twizzle wigs. So uh, basically a lot of wigs that you would see on Bon Jovi or Rat. Anyway. I will post pictures of this. They are beautiful. Um, Quill, however, does not appreciate them. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a beautiful chair. Yeah. Uh, funny moment with, um, with, with Fran. Uh, Quill, Liz sends the, sends the rocker with a picture of her father, hmm. who was deceased, um, with the chair. And Quill shows it to Fran. Fran freaks out. She is, who is this man? Is he selling the chair? And Quill's like, it's in my barn. Do you, it, it's in my barn. Do you want it? <laughs> 
And he, he, she looks at him and is like, Amanda will hand you $1,000 without blinking for this chair. Um, we usually see them running for $2,000 or more. Oh, wow. Um, and this is back in 1996. So, wow. So we're, we're talking quite a bit more now. Um, but um, Quill says, Quill then comments that Yum Yum didn't care for it. And Fran, in his staggeringly wonderful bitchy mode, says, well, I don't think Yum Yum's really an arbiter of taste. <laughs> which we can say, which she can say with full, with, with full pardon, because of course, Yum Yum's the reason that, that Fran uh, broke her toe. Mm, that's right. As Yum Yum maneuvered that tail under under Fran, and just that's and then yep. that's where she rolled the uh, the Macintosh coat of arms over her toe, and suddenly they couldn't go to Chicago anymore. Anyway, moving on. Um, so yes, so Yum Yum and Fran don't get along anymore. That's okay. So the twistle wig rocker was Liz's first gift to Quill. This is the second. This time. It's a quote-unquote portable pyramid that was meant to be used in Midsummer Night's Dream, but Larry and Junior threatened to quit if they were forced to use them. So apparently, Quill gets it. <laughs> we got a report from Fran, about, from Fran also that Nella Hooper has been located uh, in Texas, um, but claims the party train was her f- uh, ride was her farewell gift because she'd been fired with two weeks' notice. Huh. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't add up. Um, and Quill is now on high alert for any new information. Coco then goes to sit in the middle of uh, this portable pyramid from Elizabeth and all of the lights go out Hmm. for a full 15 minutes while Coco just sits there in the pyramid. Um, They come back on immediately after he leaves it. And that's just too creepy for Quill. Um, Once Fran and and Liz and Derek leave, uh, Quill dissembles the pyramids and leaves the poles in the orchard. (laughs) It's like, nope, nope, not doing that. Nope. Um, and in the morning, WPKX is reporting that a man was stabbed during the blackout. The blackout not only covered pickaxe, but went all the way to Sauda City. So it was most of Moose County, it sounds Almost like. Almost all of Moose County. Wow. Had a full blackout. And someone was, you know, and someone was someone killed. Someone was murdered. Yep. Stabbed during the blackout at the Trackside Tavern in Sauda City. Uh, James Henry Ducker, otherwise known as Benno, was pronounced dead at the scene. Oh, Benno. Hardly yes. knew ye. Hardly knew ye. Oddly enough, Eddie doesn't seem to realize that Benno is dead when he shows up to work in Paul, on Polly's house that, that morning, um, and Benno doesn't show up. Uh, Eddie assumes Eddie claims to Quill that he just assumes that um, that he was drunk, and so he you know he's sleeping it off. Uh, he'll be there the next day. I do not get the connection between James Henry Ducker and Benno. Um, I went and looked it up in Urban Dictionary. Uh, <laughs> I tried everything I could think of. Cannot find the connection. Benno is just what he's called. Just called Benno. All right. Um, Dwight Summers has more insight on the now located secretary. Um, she's apparently had some scruffy types, including Floyd and Eddie, knocking on the door of her very expensive Indian village condo. Hmm. Um, and then Dwight gives Quill a video of the party train ride and shares the part that the party train's conductor was Ozzy Penn. Now, remember that Tish went by Letitia Penn. Right. Um, Ozzy Penn is Floyd's father-in-law, Flory's dad. Hmm. So Quill calls the Railroad Retirement Center, yes, that's what it's actually called, where Ozzy currently lives and convinces him to let Quill interview him for an imaginary book that Quill is planning on writing because that's his excuse for everything. <laughs> and that seems to work. Quill gets some great information on the history of the SCNL um, Railroad. Um, that would be Sawdust City and Lockmaster Railroad because hmm. that was where the trains would run from. Sure. Um, and some very sad history on Ozzy's relationship with his daughter. He hasn't seen her, as I said, since she married Floyd. Uh, and he's never met his grandchildren. Oh, Quill arranges for Celia to try and connect the two now that Floyd is gone. Um, Quill then continues to try and get Polly's mind off her house, even taking her to the Palomino paddock. Mm-hmm. And, and they go to the Palomino paddock, and Polly and, and Polly says, well, what's the occasion? And Quill says, you may not know it, but we're exchanging vows tonight. And she's like, what? wait, what? And he what? says, you are going to vow to not worry about your house, and I am going to vow to bury the hatchet with Bootsy. <laughs> Remember her Siamese? Oh, yes. And Polly's response to this is, well, I'll wear my opals. <laughs> when they you, work, when they work, they work well. They really do. But they when really they're do. bad, good Lord. And they are so bad. bad. Um, but Polly's still obsessed. The appetite is really suffering due to indigestion. So mm. something is very off with Polly physically as well. Right. Um, she's got a doctor's appointment with the new doctor, uh, replacing Dr. Melinda Goodwinter. This is Dr. Diane Landspeak. Mm. So Carol Landspeak got her wish, which was to have, which she was originally hoping that her daughter would move up and join Melinda in practice. But now Diane gets her own practice. Yeah. Um, Diane, by the way, excuse me, Diane, by the way, is also dating Dr. Herbert, who who was <laughs> Hixie's former flame um, when Hixie broke her foot. Ah, yes. Um, so 
Either way, Quill is convinced that Polly is giving herself ulcers worrying about this house. This oh, house. It seems like it, yes. It very does. It very likely does. Um, back home, Coco is starting to dig in Quill's lap, uncomfortably so, trying to get his attention, like he's digging the Panama Canal. <laughs> oh. We still don't know what the Co- Quill doesn't know what the heck Coco's trying to tell him. Where where do we dig? We get that you're digging. Sure. Um, so, but digging isn't just on Coco's mind. Eddie Trevelyan is planning to rent a skim loader, which is a big dirt mover, um, to move all the displayed search from Molly's ha- from po- Molly from Polly's house um, <laughs> yes. to build this berm that she's looking for to kind of give her some uh, some privacy from uh, from the road. Um, but he has to rent it at night because it's cheaper. And uh, so he's finally heard about Benno's death, so he claims, and he's considerably less than broken up when Quill talks to him. So something is off there too. Mm. Um, Meanwhile, Celia has been getting on like a house on fire with Tish and Flory to the point that she has to sidestep an offer from them to go live with them as a living caretaker and friend. Um, (laughs) She does, however, learn that Tish thinks that Eddie's friend, a.k.a. Benno, killed the dog because they have been having some violent arguments. Hmm. Um, Later that night, Eddie is working on Polly's Hill. Coco has an absolute cat fit. Knocking things off, running around the barn, screaming, leading Quill to go investigate the digging, arriving just in time to hear a scream as the skimmer, as the skimmer falls on Eddie. Ooh. It tipped over. Adding insult to very major injury, Eddie was attacked by an owl that lives in the orchard, which Ooh. is what caused him to lose control of the skimmer and roll it over. Oh, jeez. Uh, Quill manages to catch Scott Gipple, who is the local uh, used car salesman, who, of course, is one of the only people to have a phone in his car at this point. <laughs> that um, would make sense. It would make sense. Uh, so Scott is able to call 911. They get everything settled and get him to the hospital. But Celia has the one who has to go to the hospital because Tish can't leave Flory alone at night. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever her condition is, she cannot function hmm. on her outside of her wheelchair. And we never find out what this condition never is. Never find out. So she's just in, in, pretty much an invalid. Pretty much. Which is a, a catch-all term. Exactly. Mm. Um, so Celia has to tell the hospital that she's Eddie's grandmother to get any information. Um, and through the long night... Coco, back at home, has recovered from his cat fit and has now managed to yank the hinges out of a pencil box. What? Um, Quill bought a, an antique pencil box to try and lock away all of the pens and paper clips that he, that Coco and Yum Yum kept stealing. Clearly it's Quill, not working. Clearly not. Because um, Coco is now throwing yet another black felt pen, still for no reason Quill can determine. Huh. Um, and in the morning, Quill has to break the news to Polly that the construction on her house has ceased. Mm. Causing her to panic even more. Um... Scott Gipple, as I mentioned, claims it's Trevelyan curse all over again. Same house, different generation. Mm. Um, but fortunately, as we mentioned, Scott runs a used car lot and has access to a tow truck. So with Quill footing the bill, he's able to get the skimmer back to where Eddie rented it from before Polly sees it and really loses it. Um, later, Hixie calls, but with some information about Nella Hooper's abandoned apartment. Remember, she's got an in with the with with the um, with the, with the manager at Indian Village. Right. Um, the credit union was paying Nella's rent in advance. Hmm. And Eddie had moved to Indian Village about four months before. So Eddie can't have pets in his apartment? That's but, that's odd because we, right. we hear a lot of things about pets in, in Indian Village. Right. Um, so maybe there's a change in – maybe there hasn't been a change or maybe they didn't want to rent to him. Who knows? Hmm. Um, so with Eddie now visiting Nella – is this a case, you know, I start to wonder, is this a case of the son trying to steal the mistress from the father? Um, because this family is already super screwed up and I really wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> but it turns out Nella was the red herring. According to Celia, Floyd has a real girlfriend who ran a bar in Sada City. Um, and Nella was Nella was just kind of there to take the heat. And so everyone thought that that's who Floyd was having the affair with. So okay. they didn't bother to look deeper to figure out who he's actually having an affair with. Classic misdirection. Indeed it is. <laughs> um, Celia also learns that Nella offered to move $100,000 to a slush fund to cover Floyd's medical expenses without Floyd's knowledge. Huh. But never did it to Tish's knowledge. Um, Nella was also apparently wasn't really fired. Uh, Tish cooked the books at the credit union to make it look that way so that Nella could collect benefits and then move back to Texas to care for her ailing father. Which hmm. so many pat excuses, it's really hard to keep track of what might be a lie because everything sounds like so a lie. So everything sounds like a lie, or a, but also plausible at the same time. Exactly. So, it's, hmm. it's, there's just enough of a grain of truth that you think, okay, maybe this could be true. This but could it be still a, kind right. of sounds like a lie. Oh my. Um, Quill is also starting to see some patterns in Coco's actions. There's a lion theme running through here. We've got Midsummer Night's Dream with the lion. Fran asks him to read The Lion in Winter as a possible winter show for the club, which is what... Um, it's taking it a bit very literally. <laughs> a little bit 
literally, and he pushes Androcles and the lion off the bookshelf. Um, so although what that means, Quill still hasn't figured out. Something to do with the lion. Androcles and the lion. Yes. Hmm. Okay. The good news is that Celia, again, being absolutely brilliant, she pulls off a lovely reunion with Ozzy, Flory, and Tish. But unfortunately, more shocking news comes out. Floyd moved the party train into Flory's name to protect him from creditors. Um, and Ozzy has decided to buy it. Really? Yes. He didn't have his money in the credit union. He had his money in banks. And with his railroad pension, he's got more than enough to Plenty buy the train money. and send Flory to Switzerland. Hmm. So it's it's an, it's an amazing about face for this family. So now they've got the money for Flory's Absolutely. medical treatment. Uh, they're planning to take off for Switzerland that weekend. <laughs> Apparently the mag- magical is medical cure is on call. Happening very you, quickly. You, you don't need to have an appointment. You just call you, you just say we're coming and off you go and then that's, um, and they say ah yes very good <laughs> so this is making quill a little bit suspicious and he's starting to wonder if tish may be more involved in the fraud than she seems mm-hmm. um but as far as we know aside from cooking the books for nella's reasons nothing there's there's Don't really no much else major um there's really no major uh, connection for her and between her and the fraud but the rest of the week doesn't pass well polly decides not to attend opening a midsummer night's dream Eddie passes away from his injuries, which is to be expected mm. when the skimmer rolls over you. And, of course, again, no progress is made on Polly's house. Jeez. On opening night, uh, Quill again has to leave the theater due to an emergency. Because the number nine engine and the party train, recently bought by Ozzy Penn, has wildcatted its way into a stunning train wreck. Oh, no. Killing Ozzy and injuring 40, uh, 40 other railroad old-timers. Jeez. They all went for one last joy ride uh, with the condition that they all had to be willing to jump. And when the train started to go off the rails, everyone jumped but Ozzy. Jeez. The train was going so fast, they, uh, they say, that it tore the rails off the curve and straightened them. Wow. Yeah. Good Lord. So finally, after all of that, <laughs> thanks to Celia particularly, Quill starts to put the pieces together. Which, of course, then all gets derailed because Polly has a heart attack. Mm. Jeez. Um, she calls Quill and said, I don't feel well. I think I need to go to the hospital. Oh, no. He's immediately calling the ambulance and getting her out. And Something, any sort of medical attention. Jeez. Yes. So she's at the hospital. They get her stable and she's calmer than she has been a week. So Quill is finally able to go back to focusing on the mystery. Sure. Um, Cecilia has been reporting back from the Trevelyans with really startling accuracy. And you think it's because she's taking notes really well. Quill finally learns actually why. Despite his warning that it's illegal and inadmissible in court, she's been tape recording her visits. Mm. And all of that illegal whatnot does not stop him from listening to the tapes. (laughs) And it almost all comes out here. So Floyd didn't skip town with millions. Nella Hooper did. Oh. After arranging to have Benno kill Floyd and hide his body under Polly's garage floor, which is why Coco kept signaling digging and rolling on the concrete. (laughs) Yeah, not, it felt good, but something else was, yep. behind, was underneath it. But then Nella left town, and Benno didn't get paid, mm. which leads to his fights with Eddie. Apparently, his death was an accident. According to Eddie, on his deathbed, he claims that he just tried to get the knife away from Benno, who then ran into the knife in the dark. Jeez. Just once, not ten times. <laughs> Sorry, I had to make a joke. He had it coming. <laughs> So with this revelation, Tish is now in agony because she really thought that Nella was her friend. And instead, Nella's the one who apparently blew the whistle on her own fraud to implicate Floyd while she skipped town with the money. This is a really smart con. Very much so. Jeez. Um, And Nella's disappeared. But, you know, even after they got all this information, they had her in Texas and let her go. Hmm. So now they have to find her again. And they're not having any luck. I know. So we skip ahead to September. This is probably in early July-ish. So skipping ahead towards... So we've we've skipped ahead to September. Um, Polly has gone down to Minneapolis and had coronary bypass surgery. She's moved in with her sister-in-law. And uh, so Bootsy is finally losing some weight from being able to run up and down some stairs. (laughs) And the former... And the house that she never got to complete is going to be used as an art gallery and studios. Oh, wonderful. And apparently Quill is being measured for a kilt. Oh. He's joining of the Macintosh clan. Um, <laughs> Floyd's body was found under Polly's garage floor. Mm. But Nella Hooper, as I mentioned, despite being originally found in Texas, has completely disappeared. Uh-oh. Although law enforcement is still searching. With Eddie and Benno's death, Coco has stopped stealing pens. Apparently the black felt tip pens had to do with the fact that Eddie and both Eddie and Floyd were covered in very dark hair. Um, That's a bit of a stretch. It's a really, it, it really is a bit of a stretch. 
Um, whatever. Um, he stopped stealing pens. He stopped digging. But he's still yelling whenever Quill says Hermia. This eventually sends Quill to the dictionary. And he comes, he starts reading through the dictionary at various things. And this is where my content warning comes yep, in. Because words, yeah. when he comes across the word hermaphrodite, this causes Coco to shriek and growl. Which leads Quill to realize that the reason that no one has found Nella is that she has gone back to being a he, that Nella was only impersonating a woman, and in the words of the bard, Lord, what fools these mortals be. <sighs> the curtain falls, but not fast enough. Not fast enough on that ending. Aye, aye, aye. It's, that's, we're going to talk quite a bit we, about it. We are. But um, I think that, oh, that's just such, I'm thinking to. It's such a cheat. It's a cheat. I'm also thinking back to. To, to soap dish, which I showed you recently for the very first time, but that yes. turns out that the villain that also happened mm-hmm. to be hermaphrodite as well. Not hermaphrodite or, or was a crossdresser, right? Uh, that that in, in the case of soap dish, it's it, it's a trans it's a, it's it's a trans person. Gotcha. Um, either it, way, was not handled case, well. It wasn't handled well. In this case, not handled well either. Um, the here's the more I think about this. I'm going to skip ahead to to where I have a rather long statement about this, and then we'll go back to some of the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the man dressed as a woman villain trope. Um, not a good look at the time this book was written. It's only gotten worse after 20 plus years. Plus, the assumption that Quill makes to leap from hermaphrodite to man dressing as a woman seems to be just plain wrong. I mean, number one, there don't appear to the best of my research, to be any cases of an actual hermaphrodite that have ever necessarily existed. Most people tend to reflect with one uh, with, with one set of genitalia or the other. Um, and the term that we use now is called intersex. Um, this is a lot of my information, granted, came from tvtrips.org. I invite you to listen, to to uh, visit their site and look up some of these things. They've got mu- they've got a much better researched version than I do. Um, so Quill is claiming that Nella has grown a beard and is going. Remember, her name was Lionella. Mm-hmm. So grown a beard and going by Lionel, as if an intersex person just switches sex and and switches their hormone, just switches sex hormones on and off like a light switch. I mean. It is possible that maybe Nella could have been a really good passing drag queen or a crossdresser who then changed to male clothes and let their facial hair grow to disappear. But any kind of distinction in the world of men and women's clothing uh, or vice versa is completely lost on Lillian Jackson Braun and therefore Quill. Um, obviously, again, not a biological expert, not any no. kind of expert with this. This um, is just us having look, looking things up and me, you know, currently right now on the wikipedia page where it does talk about hermaphrodite yeah but only in the sense like it is actually a biological term in the sense that there are organisms that like a yes. clownfish or like a snail exactly that... who possess both uh, who, who who possess both sex organs um right but in this particular case and and in the description that they're using it's just wildly fictional and i'm really sorry to any readers who find this upsetting because it is upsetting it's and it's very upsetting it's very and insensitive there should be there should be better representation but there's nothing we can do for a book that's 20 plus well, years old well it's also this is again a very early 90s thing because yeah. it seemed to be you know a cop out there's also plenty i can just think of other plenty so much other media that does utilize mm-hmm. this and it was just like i don't know it was one of those weird and, early and 90s and why the term hermaphrodite became a catch all for this i have no idea okay that's all we're going to say about that. Let's go talk about some of the other things that are in this book. <laughs> a lot to unpack. We should, we're not going to throw out the suitcase and burn it. We're just going to no. leave, uh, the, leave the big nasty thing away. Yes, <laughs> the, the big nasty thing has been unpacked. So now we're going to keep pa- unpacking the rest of this book, of which there is a lot. So Quill is really settled into pickaxe. And I think you're going to notice um, as we move on with the books in the series, these are going to get longer. Um, because he has history there, because we've settled in, mm-hmm. so we're catching up on all of our friends and pickaxe. Well, and we're also past the five-year mark, aren't we? We are way past the five-year mark. Uh, right. And Lillian Jackson Bronze has been writing these books long enough. She's possibly starting to repeat herself on some points. <laughs> um, she's using them in new ways, but she is starting to repeat herself. As I said, there's a very... Very strong flashback to the Tate family when we meet uh, when we meet Floyd for the first time. Um, a weird thing that I notice as I'm reading it somewhere along the way, a wooden train whistle just appears on Quill's table. No <laughs> mention of where it came from that I can find. I reread the, I reread the first three chapters of this book three times. I can't find it. 
Coco doesn't even blow it, cat who blows the whistle, although Celia does. Um, the blowing of the whistle, I think, in this case, refers to Nella, who did, in fact, blow the whistle on her own fraud. Right. Um, which I still think is a really clever fraud. Um, there is <laughs> an, we learned an interesting factoid. Um, Floyd Trevelyan made all of his money by selling his construction business to XYZ Enterprises. Oh, really? And that is how XYZ got started. <laughs> and speaking of XYZ, we get an, we do get an update on Breakfast Island and what's going to happen. Um, XYZ has abandoned the project. Good. Um, and K-Fund is reforesting the island to allow Mother Nature to restore it to its original pristine beauty. And the remaining <laughs> B&Bs on the island will be used as youth hostels and summer camps for the new college. Hmm. The locals will be left alone and the summer estates will have their taxes raised. <laughs> ah, I love living in Moose County. Um, a very silly thing. This is the first appearance of Kabibbles which is a crunchy treat made by Celia Robinson, uh, equally delicious to cats and humans. And on this dish, how do you make it? <laughs> it's a, uh, Mildred is the one who kind of describes it as um, a kind of crouton with Parmesan and garlic salt, red pepper, and uh, Worcestershire sauce, which Worcestershire has anchovy in it, which is mm -hmm. why it's attractive Get to cats. Give it a nice umami. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. I Might am, be something to, fight, to play around with. Well, I am also, uh, because I am, uh, Valentine's Day is coming up, my dear, and I am ordering you the Cat Who Cookbook. Oh, this will be fun. There's apparently <laughs> like three different versions of it, but uh, I am actually seeing if Kabibbles is in there. But uh, let's uh, <laughs> that should be continue fun. on while I do All that. Right. Uh, so in this book, we do get uh, some FaceTime with Homer Tibbet. They are indeed. Ordering Excellent. it now. That'll be fun. <laughs> um, so anyway, we get some FaceTime back with Homer Tibbet. Um, he's working as the Moose County, still working as the Moose County historian. And once again, it is stated here that he has a shot of brandy in his coffee flask. <laughs> um, he's responsible for giving us... Flask the, of coffee. Yes, he takes a flask of coffee to the library and then hides it in a paper bag because technically you're not supposed to have food or drink um, <laughs> while he researches all of these documents. Got a flask um, of booze, never had a flask of coffee, never... Crossed my mind to do that. <laughs> oh no! You just well, yes. You use you use the the uh, the hot cold flask, and mm. then you just leave a shot of you put a shot of brandy in it. Well, I meant like a typical like you know an actual metal flask. You, you're like, talking about the little flask versus yes. But your uh, your um, hydro, hydro flask, flask yeah, not, is that, a flask. I feel coffee with that before, but no, yes. I meant like the actual like oh, I'm having a nip of what is this? Oh, to really put some hair on your chest. It's coffee. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right, but he's responsible for giving us the history on Sawdust City, the, the train lines, the Trevelyans, <laughs> and of course, more local curses. Um, Quill finally, by the way, puts a name to the distinctive dialect spoken by Moose County old timers, especially if they lived in the smaller towns around Pickaxe. This is, as he calls it, Old Moose. Old Moose. At, and this is something that uh, <laughs> that Braun dives very deep into in, in, uh, a couple, in later books. I think uh, we're two or three books away from a really deep discussion of Old Moose. Just call me Moose. Old mm. Moose is my father. Yes. Um, <laughs> especially as, as Quill has settled in, he really starts interviewing a lot more old timers and finds, and, and they start to be, and of course, all of their dialogue is written in this Old Moose cant. Um, I would love to hear the audiobook of them doing that. I think we should. I, I think we should pull some out, um, especially for the book that I'm thinking of. I think so too. Um, that would be fat to hear and, and what use they that do. That as an example, because essentially you're making up a dialect at this point. Kind of. It seems um, like it is. It's, it's, it's more. We'll, we'll talk about it later. Um, when, <laughs> when we have it to listen to for you, we'll we'll get we'll get into it a little bit. Stay more. tuned. Um, we've mentioned the community college, mm -hmm. which now has a name. And a distinguished president who is also very single. This is Dr. Pelton. Why do you mention that? Um, because he's going to end up dating somebody important later. Oh, um, my, oh. So we meet Dr. Pelgett, uh, who is the president of the newly named Moose County Community College, MCCC. That's a mouthful. <laughs> I, went, I grew up in a town with uh, Central Oregon Community College. No, every time we drive by the sign for there, it's like, God, oh, that's a giant. That's a terrible choice. That's a South Central Louisiana State University. It's just a bunch of consonants. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So Polly in this book. Oh, boy, Polly. Uh, now, it should be mentioned that Polly actually brought Quill a present from Oregon. Oh, nice. She brought him a set of hand-painted duck decoys. Um, these are really gorgeous if you've ever seen them. if you, um, Some of the people, um, Oregon and Washington, particularly where duck hunting is really... Um, very prevalent. It's really it? very prevalent, and the ducks are very colorful mm -hmm. uh, in the Northwest. So they're really interesting, um, very beautifully painted duck decoys. Um, as we've discussed, her decision to build a house is not a good one. She is so obsessed. It is scary, <laughs> and it's no wonder that she makes herself sick. Um, she, at one point, 
mentions wanting that berm between the house and the main road for privacy, but doesn't want it to look landscaped. And she asks Quill, how does one do that? And Quill responds with uh, the best response that I think of, um, which is that one calls Kevin Dune, who went to horticultural college to learn how to do just that rather than exhausting oneself. <laughs> this personally makes me laugh because it's very similar to my father's advice on how to change a tire, which is call AAA. <laughs> In the midst of all of her stress about the house, she still finds time to be jealous of Celia Robinson. Um, and, of course, corrects Quill's Shakespeare pronunciation. Oh, here we go. According to Polly's Shakespeare scholar father, it is Titania as opposed to his Titania. <laughs> I can't tell. I'm reading this. I can't tell if it's supposed to be Titania or Titania. Titania. Rather than Titania. <laughs> I have always heard it as Titania. I've always heard it um, as Titania as well, too. But that's still the uh, but the, uh, the joke that you were referring to was when somebody mistyped it in a um, it was mistyped in a, in in a theater bio in a theater they, bio and it was and they claimed that they'd played Queen Tiana in a Midsummer Night's Dream. <laughs> oh boy! Anyway, yes, we are a little bit judgy theater people. We know. Um, with this particular book. Um, Quill seems to have forgotten that he was nearly killed by a Trevelyan builder. Uh, that's Birch Tree, uh, who ran him off the road and wanted to brain him and dump him down a mine shaft to protect Alexander Penelope Goodwinter and the cat who played post office. Selective memory. Clearly. Um, I realize that everyone should be given a chance to <laughs> succeed or fail on their own merits, but I personally would have approached someone related to a person who tried to kill me that ma- that many times with a healthy dose of caution. And almost that successfully, too. That yeah. was Yeah. There's actually a lot of do you remembers in this book. Um, they reference <laughs> do the f- you remember? They reference the Fitch House in West Middle Hummock, <laughs> Quill's bike accident, as we mentioned near the Buckshot Mine. Um, we also, as I already said, they get the return of Dr. Herbert, which mm-hmm. is Hixie's doctor from when she broke her foot in the uh, cat who went into the closet. Um, but he's now dating the Landspeak's daughter, Dr. Diane. Huh. Hixie says he was perfect, perfectly boring, oh, and no. that's why she left him. <laughs> Fair. Um, there's lots of memories of Dennis Huff, the architect of Quill's barn, although apparently his wife's refusal of the body isn't commonly known because Fran asks if Quill thinks he would have stayed in Pickaxe if he'd lived. And Quill curtly points out that his family was in St. Louis. Try and close that story down. Um, and according to an ad in the uh, Moose County something, Otto's Tasty Eats is still in business. Still I do kicking. not know how. Um, <laughs> at least it's not the hotspot. <laughs> anyway, um, also people run away to Switzerland a lot in these books. Harry Noyton, the Potato Mountain crew, several good winters. Non-extradition country. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, but it's also, you know, source of science and all of those things. Well, source of science. They have no standing army. Because remember, also, well, remember, Harry Noyton went there went, went there to uh, to discover um, calorie free beer. Um, <laughs> anyway, moving on. I'm sure that I'm sure the quality of life there is fantastic, and they won't extradite you if you committed a crime. There you go. Um, community college has been popping up a lot in this book, including the in- introduction of their unofficial mascot, an orange and dirty white cat who turns out to be the Wilmot's cat, OJ. The Wilmot's <laughs> oh, say the college can have him. They don't <laughs> want him back. Take him. <laughs> Take my cat, please. <laughs> yes. So I also often make jokes about Joy in Mudville, but that's actually a town in Moose County, apparently, where the party train deports and returns from. Who <laughs> And we learn a little bit about small town journalism here. Um, Arch wants to run the big splashy story about the credit union on page one once uh, once the news breaks, but he gets outvoted by Junior Goodwinter, who knows the motto, don't make bad news worse. Mm. Especially in a small town. You do not need to cause panic. All of the information will be there, but you don't need to make bad news worse. Um, there's another phrase that pops up a lot with some discussion about where does it come from? And that phrase is hold or cut bowstrings, um, which from... Midsummer Night's Dream, it's from the rude mechanical scene. Apparently it originates from military terms where you could either hold position and fight or cut your bowstring so the enemy couldn't use them when you retreated. <laughs> Polly did not even know this, so I but, so I guess that she does not possess the um, the, the Shakespeare lexicon that, um, that was printed. Not. Maybe it was so not gonna, written by that time or in print. Or, you know, say. her father was working on it and he didn't tell her when they were kids. <laughs> um we mentioned that Quill is being measured for a kilt because officially joining a Scottish clan apparently requires proving relations, paying dues, and debating the purchase of a kilt and kit. Um, we'll discuss what the kit actually is later mm-hmm. um, in another book. Um, there is a slight error that I noticed. Um, Celia calls to tell Quill that she's in Lockmaster, and Quill responds, great, you're only 30 miles away. But because of the cat who knew a cardinal, we know that Lockmaster is actually 60 miles away. Mm. Oops. <laughs> anyway, 
it's detail I would only notice because I've read these books far too many times. Um, and, you know, I'm taking notes about everything. No, of course. So um, the Penn Trevelyan family, um, with as much drama as I included in our, um, in our summary, I, I had to leave out a lot of it. Um, there is a wildly dramatic moment where Flory crashes all of Floyd's model trains, scaring Cecilia, scaring Celia and, uh, and her cat Wrigley, who would come to visit. Um, this is on top of Floyd and Flory getting married in the engine cab of a running train in overalls, which is what apparently caused her father, Ozzy, to refuse to see her again. And again, as I mentioned, forcing her mother to cut off all contact as well. well and we still don't know yeah. anything about her disease or what happened. We just know that she's in a wheelchair. She's addled and that's pretty much all we get. Exactly. Hmm. Um... There is an interesting little moment. Hero, villain, or just in the wrong place, you decide. The owl that attacked Eddie Trevelyan and caused him to roll the skimmer has been in the orchard for quite some time. Quill has even nicknamed him Marconi because of his hoop patterns. But <laughs> was he just hunting and mistook Eddie for prey? Or did he deliberately attack? Who knows? But um, <laughs> Love it. Um, sign of the times. Sign of the times. Um, we have Junior who wants to know when Quill is going to get a word processor. Wow. Quill, however, maintains his love for his now electric, by the way, typewriter. Jeez. That was his big expenditure. He bought an electric typewriter instead of a manual. <laughs> um, I've got a lot of cats will be cats here. Oh, yeah. Yum Yum is stealing pens, paper clips, other small objects, forcing Quill to buy that antique pencil case to lock them away until Which Coco... Which does jack all. <laughs> until Coco yanks out all of the, uh, the hinges. Um, I do love this moment when Quill is still just not getting Coco's hints because I'm sorry they were just too subtle. Coco knocks Dostoevsky's The Idiot off the shelves oh, for she, him. Wow. It's like not subtle at all just here. being very... Um... <laughs> book for some reason yum yum has decided she wants her own plate for food she stops eating until she gets her own plate um hmm. demanding demanding cat well i mean coco is always the center of attention and so i think maybe yum yum's just trying to just getting a little bit more just getting a little um, no you know she's is... she's had her own commode for years so it's time to have her own food this is yum yum's um. turn <laughs> now i don't speaking s- of cats yes i don't say this often but poor bootsy oh um, so bootsy he, we discover he has some pretty severe urological issues that do end up requiring surgery, not helping Polly's situation. Um, and that's mostly due to Polly overfeeding him. Um, and frankly, his own boredom. Mm. Uh, Polly and Polly and this house have been very rough on everyone. Well, so. especially if there's not much for him to do anything. Yeah. Besides just, yeah. Besides lay around and eat. There's nothing to do. <laughs> Quill keeps trying to politely suggest that Polly get him a companion, maybe. Um, (laughs) And the hope was that, you know, when they built the house, that Polly would have stairs for Bootsy to run up and down. Sure. Um, Well, he does now, fortunately, now that she's out living at the Duncan homestead uh, with her sister-in-law, Lynette. So uh, Polly is walking more. Bootsy's running up and down the stairs, losing some weight. And not eating quite as much because he's not as bored. No. (laughs) I'm just thinking of Archer when he meets Babu. He's like, you may want to get like a box or a ball or something because he is desperate for attention. (laughs) He is desperate for, for stimulation, something to play with. Yeah, exactly. All right. Now Time speak- to pause. Yes, pause. So I do give this book a solid three pause. Right. It's a really good mystery, um, and it's revealed in a solid manner, but until the cheat. The cheat of Nella Hooper annoys me, especially since everything we know about her is second, third hand, frankly. Um, the leap from Hermia to Hermaphrodite to man dressed as a woman, too big a leap, even for Coco. <sighs> And it's interesting because at one point, I don't think we covered this as well, but Publishers Weekly considers this the best of the series. Isn't that mm. correct? Yes, it really does. Um, which I don't quite understand. But, you know, it's good. It is it is a really good book and it is an enjoyable read. But, again, it has not aged well. I th- you know, um, looking, at it from this, looking at it from a lens of someone who is being a critic or being writing it from the time period it was again maybe just thinking oh this is a trope that we're going to incorporate this is how she handles it in a very creative way but even then still though it's from the lens now looking at it in modern 2021 times the other thing that i think may have contributed to that description is the difference between the previous book and this book the pacing in this book is so much better uh, I mean, worlds away Compared from to Breakfast, from Breakfast one, yes. Island, mm-hmm. where you know Quill doesn't even actually solve the mystery in in time to save anybody. It just it just everything happens after the fact. In this book, um, you know, Quill is solving the mystery at actually 
preventing things from happening because he's working on it in real time. Um, which is why I can see somebody going from, well, considering the disaster of the last book, this is fantastic. <laughs> and granted, they're saying this about the 17th book in the series. Right. Um, there are 10 more books to go. So, well, so we got time. More. We got time. There, there will be much more. Exactly. All right. Well, any other final thoughts on this one? Nope. I think we have said all that we can say. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. It is a good mystery. Maybe not worth, Maybe not necessarily worth the read if this is the only one you're going to read. Um, no, I, can, I would say if you're going to pick from what we have gone through, this is not the one to pick just nope. at random. No, not it's, at all. Especially with knowing what we know about how it handles a certain... Uh, exactly. Very sensitive topic, highly insensitively. Yes. With that... Thank you so much for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. Join us next time for The Cat Who Said Cheese. Cheese. I'm Susan Romsdorf-Terry. <laughs> and I'm Luke Romsdorf-Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing. And stay nosy, my friends. Bye.